0: Hey Nailers fans, it's DJ Abicello welcoming you into season number three of the Toolbox, your home for the Wheeling Nailers Podcast. It's the beginning of the twenty twenty off season, and it's definitely been a very strange beginning to the off season, as all of you know, as I'm working here from home in Martins Ferry, Ohio. I'm sure that some of you are working from home as well. But with that being said, I also want to take the opportunity to extend a very special thank you to all of the essential workers out there, whether you're in the healthcare business or the food business or any other business that's deemed essential. I know that it can't be easy to go out there day in and day out, and you're doing some incredible work out there. We really appreciate what you're doing. At the end of the toolbox today, I'm going to highlight one of the programs that the Nailers have started in a way to support some of our partners who are essential workers and are doing some tremendous work day in and day out. I thought this would be a really good time. We're about a month into the offseason and that means a full month without live sports which has certainly been a big adjustment for a lot of folks. I know that we've been trying to find all sorts of movies and television series and documentaries to keep ourselves occupied in addition to going outside every now and again. But to kind of take us back to the end of the regular season, look at some of the highs and lows that took place during the year for the Nailers on the ice. There were definitely some moments that I looked back at and I say, man, if the team could have really captured the lightning in the bottle that they had at this point or at this point, they could have had a better record than they did, and of course some of the things that led to what was ultimately the first time with a below 500 record in over a decade. So we'll look back at that, we'll look back at how everything came to an end in the last week or so, and just what kind of an impact that created for everybody it was certainly a whirlwind, there's no rewording that one in any way we'll talk about the fact that the nailers are moving forward and there will be a new head coach for the 2020 2021 season and also discuss some of my thoughts on what this is going to lead to going forward whether that be in the national hockey league who is still open in the 2019-20 season or potentially what it's going to mean for the season, and particularly some players signings as i think we're going to be looking at a different season in that regard So we'll start off with a recap of the 2019-20 season. As I mentioned, it was a difficult go at the end of the year for the Nailers, who finished up with a 24-30-5 record. It was a season that started in interesting fashion. As you remember, back to October, we had the scenario with the ice that led to a full training camp up at South Point, and then a couple of preseason games in Fort Wayne. But there was a lot of excitement going into the season as we started to see how the roster was being built and the team was coming together as this was one of the biggest seasons in terms of affiliation help that I've experienced in my nine seasons with the team as there were a lot of contracted players especially on the offensive side of the puck we had a lot of NHL and AHL contracted forwards in the lineup and especially early in the season you could tell that there was a ton of firepower and the team was going to have little trouble in scoring goals. Early in the season, there were so many dramatic and exciting moments. You think back to the home opening weekend, back-to-back victories over the Indy Fuel. Both of those wins came with a game-winning goal during the last 30 seconds of regulation. And that was one of the things that jumped out at me, especially early in the year, when six of the first eight wins either came during the final three minutes of regulation or in overtime, including three in the last 30 seconds. I mentioned the two on opening weekend. And you also had Blake Siebenhuller's winner against Cincinnati on Education Day, which came with five seconds to go in the third period. When you look at the makeup of a team and how they are able to approach games, Their play in third periods is something that really jumps out at me, whether it's a team that's able to have a one-goal lead down the stretch and be able to have that confidence to close out games. You definitely sent a confidence there and an ability. The 13-14 team did that well. You also had teams who maybe they were down by a goal in the late stages, and they had that confidence that, yeah, you know what? You may have a lead on us, but you're going to have to really survive it to get out of here because we're going to put the pressure on. And then there's teams like this year's beginning of the year, Naylor's team, who is able to not just say, okay, we're tied, we'll just work it to overtime to get a point, but to still have that aggressive mentality to try and get the win in regulation, and particularly those three games with 30 seconds left, all division games where you don't let the divisional opponent get out of town with any points in their bag whatsoever. So I thought that was a really key moment to the start of the year, some excitement for sure. I mean, I I never thought I'd be calling three game winning goals in the final 30 seconds of regulation in the span of about a month and a half, so that was certainly an exciting start. I thought another one of the positive moments came in mid-December. The team kind of battled through the end of November, beginning of December a little bit. There was a homestand that didn't go quite the way they were hoping to, but a time that things really came together for this group was the three game trip to wrap City in the middle of December. The team had a nice big dinner together. They also had a trip to Mount Rushmore. They got the first two wins of the series. And if you remember back to that stretch in the broadcast and I was talking about it, I've been around certain teams where if they got the first two wins in a three-game trip like that, All was good, and they would kind of just say, okay, you know what? Whatever happens in game three happens in game three. We've already won the series, we've already taken four points back home from a difficult road city. But there was just a moment, and I talked to a couple of the players on that Saturday morning in Rapid City before the third game. And you could just sense there was a different mentality with the group. And it really encouraged me because they were motivated. I don't know if they felt a lack of respect from Rapid City, if they had had such a great trip that they really wanted to make sure that they ended it on a positive note. And I just went back to the hotel that day and I looked across the room at assistant coach Gene Riley and I said, We're winning this game tonight. There's not a doubt in my mind that we are winning this game. And sure enough, they did. And I thought that was a real big lift in the first part of the season. And you look at how it built after that. And incredibly enough, the first game after that three-game Rapid City sweep was Emil Larmy's Wheeling-Nailer's debut, which was, of course, a shutout win over the Toledo Walleye. So they played as well as they did against Rapid City. Then Larmy comes down and completely steals the show, gets a win there ultimately, the team goes on from the start of the Rapid City trip to the first game of January. They win 7 out of 9 games, some of them in exciting fashion. They got their first win in Cincinnati, Brandon Hawkins overtime winner on January 3rd. Their first win in that building since St. Patrick's Day of the finals year, 2016. And they were a season high, 4 games over 500. You really felt like things were starting to go in the right direction. There was a little bit of a stumble That followed after that As the team went into the All-Star break Losing 6 out of 7 games But I think the All-Star break Came at the right time in that regard Because the guys were able to Kind of squash that slump Just a little bit Come back out of it strong, and they had a six game homestand, which I thought at the time was going to be a very vital homestand to try and keep things moving in a positive direction, which it did as the team earned nine out of twelve possible points, went four one and one, a couple games after that, a couple big wins over Cincinnati and Fort Wayne, a six two and one run, and things were going really well, unfortunately. The busy schedule ended up really hurting the Nailers in a big way as they began what would have been a stretch of seven straight weeks of three and three and ended up losing 10 of 11 games and really falling hard. Some key losses in there, losing all four games on a Central Division road trip to Toledo, Fort Wayne, Indian, Kalamazoo, and it left it what would have been a very tough run to try and get back into playoff contention as they were 11 points back with 13 games remaining. So it was definitely going to be an uphill, if not up mountain climb. And it was definitely tough to see the end of it go that way. And there were some games where it was definitely hard to watch for me. And I know it was probably hard to watch for you as there were games with 11 and 12 and 18 shots on goal. And they're just wasn't as much jump as there was. There wasn't that emotion that there was in the Rapid City trip in December, and it was tough to see it end that way. And that's one of the reasons why it would have been nice to be able to get those final 13 games in just to kind of see, even if playoffs, let's say they didn't happen, to be able to try and build some positive things. One of the aspects that I look forward to towards the end of the second half of the season is you start to get your first look at the college players, the university players. The major junior players, some of them who may impact your team right then and there. I mean, look at the players that we've seen over the years who have had immediate impacts right away. Cody Wido scored in his professional debut. Derek Army had three goals in his first pro games coming out of Providence College. Chris Kushnerick, the year that he came out of Robert Morris University, he scored the game-winning goal in Game 7 overtime of the second round of the playoffs against the Greenville Road Warriors in 2011. So there's players who can make that impact now and there's also players that you're getting a look at who can really have a big impact on your team the following year. Take example, a Riley Bourbonet who came out of school and then had a big first year in 2017-18. You look at a guy like Jared Burton, didn't make a whole lot of noise when he first came to Wheeling as a rookie out of Clarkson, but in his true rookie season, that first full year, he really slotted himself into the lineup well and started to build himself so that he was able to ultimately land in the American Hockey League with Wilkes-Barre, Scranton and then Rochester. So That was one of the things that was definitely a bummer to see towards the end of the season. and That's going to be an interesting aspect aspect to watch as I kind of shift my gears a little bit here to the off season where it's a level playing field it's always a unique situation when you're going down the stretch and you're going after those college guys and those junior guys because what are they looking for? are they looking to join a contending team and maybe they wouldn't necessarily get top line minutes because they're having to battle some of the established guys who are going to be leading those teams into deep playoff runs. Or do they maybe want to go towards a team who's starting to build young because they're going to have a chance to make an impact right away? And if they do, that might even help them get a couple of looks from the American Hockey League as to getting a contract for the following year. So we're all on level playing fields as far as that goes. And really, with the exception of a few from the teams that struggled in NCAA and in CIS who were the first ones to finish their seasons, pretty much everybody's in a free agent world right now. Nobody can protect any players in terms of those first-year guys that are coming fresh out of school. Of course, there will still be the normal process, which should happen in the beginning of June, where you have the protected lists and the qualifying offers and all of that that leads to free agency in the start of July. But Pretty much, it's going to be a race to see who can try and get the best amateur players to be able to start to build some really strong rookie cores going into next season. Another really unique aspect that this creates, too, and I've seen a few people talk about this as well in the Twitter sphere. Is What it's going to do for some of maybe the older players or middle-aged players who typically feel like they've hit their ceiling here in North America, whether it be in the American Hockey League or in the ECHL, and they typically shuffle their way over to Europe. Depending on how long this all goes, you may not see as many players go over to Europe. And and that could lead to some interesting scenarios, whether players decide, all right, well, I've kind of reached the end of my line, I'm going to hang it up now. Or perhaps we see some players that we haven't seen in, say, two, three, four, five years returning to the ECHL, it could become a bit of an older league than it traditionally has been in recent years. You may see some familiar names with different teams cycle their way back in the league. So that's certainly one of the things that I'm going to be fascinated to see in these next few weeks to months to see how that's going to get handled. As far as the future of the different leagues and what it means. The ECHL, as we know, has already canceled the remainder of the 2019-20 season. The NHL is still open. I'm not sure where that's going to go. My personal opinion, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, they can play in empty buildings, they can do this. But if you really look at this scenario and you look at how protective the NHL is, particularly when it comes to concussions and how they don't want to rush players back, they want to make sure that they're 100% healthy, I think the NHL is really going to work hard to make sure that they have an absolutely seamless and perfect situation if they are indeed going to try and finish the 2019-20 season and hand out a Stanley Cup to the top team. So I don't know how much of that's a guarantee. I also think in the back of my mind, I don't think that they're going to do anything to really jeopardize or alter the 2020-2021 season. So I think there's a lot of different things at play here. Obviously, we're still relatively early in the game here in early April, but I think the longer it goes, the more challenging it's going to be for the NHL to finish up its season. But as you are, I'm just sitting here waiting and watching and seeing where that's all going to end up. How we got to this point is very interesting to talk about as well, and that doesn't really get highlighted a whole lot for obvious reasons, but I thought it would be interesting to take you behind the scenes and just talk about what that week was like for me, and definitely one of the more unique experiences that I've been through in my time here in Wheeling, and it's something where I told people as it was all taking place, like, there's no manual on any of this, there's no instruction of when... And there's a world health crisis. This is what you're supposed to do. So for me the week started we had played the four game road trip that took us through Kalamazoo got home everything was still normal I started to get a hint that things would start to maybe turn away from normal on that Monday March 9th I went into the hockey rink and I sat down with Naylor's athletic trainer Daniel Barker and I give Dan all the credit in the world he had his eyes on this from the start and obviously that's the number one job for the athletic trainers they have to make sure that the players are as healthy as they possibly can be and as safe as they possibly can be, whether it's for their performance with us on the ice or even going home and living their normal lives outside of hockey. So Dan and I first had that conversation and he gave me the briefing on what was going on in the world and what I should be aware of and just making sure that the players were staying safe. So we continued to proceed as usual. Of course, we played the home game, the education game. Day on Tuesday, March 10th, which oddly enough became the final game of the 2019-20 season and we had the post-game gathering at Undo's. For me, the most interesting day was definitely, and the most groundbreaking day, was on Wednesday, March 11th. And we had heard the rumblings of different teams around. I know the San Jose Sharks and the county there didn't want gatherings of a certain amount of people, so they were already thinking about playing games with nobody in the building. And then it really started to hit home in the ECHL. The Cincinnati Cyclones and the Toledo Walleye played a game on that Wednesday night at the Center in Toledo and they had no fans in it so I was starting to get curious at that point because we had three games left in Toledo to finish the year so I was wondering all right are we going to be going there with no fans in that building are there going to be other buildings is our building going to be like that too so that those were all sort of the ideas going through my head and then the sports world really got hit on that Wednesday night when the Utah Jazz player was the first one who was diagnosed with the COVID-19 virus and immediately prompted the NBA to at that point suspend its season and as soon as that happened I knew immediately I said you know what if the NBA is suspending this season then there's no way that the NHL is going to do any different they're absolutely going to follow suit and I figured that as the day went along too that the AHL and the ECHL would all follow in that same path because even though we're all in our own individual leagues we're all connected we have NHL and AHL contracted players here in Wheeling, so I figured that everybody would come together, and sure enough, they did. That was the process on Thursday. I remember I was watching the NHL Network during lunch, and that was when they officially announced their suspension, and then our meeting started to happen as the day went along, and then we announced right around 5 o'clock that the ECHL was suspending its season, which obviously was the right decision at the right time. And then, as the days continued to progress, the ECHL continued. Continued to have their conversations, and then on Saturday night, that was when it became announced that the ECHL was officially canceling the remainder of the 2019-20 season. And as you can see now, you know, regardless of who was where and what playoff runs could have been made. We're now at the point where the regular season would have been over. So that was absolutely the right thing to do at that given time. And we still don't know what the future holds in sight. So that's how we found out that the season would come to an end on that Saturday. The players came in and did their exit physicals on Monday and then picked up their stuff and individually one by one started to make their travel plans and return to their home cities, states, provinces, and countries as well. And and that was definitely weird. And like I keep saying in this, everything has its purpose, has its reason. And I completely understand the thought process behind it because health is your number one priority. But there was definitely a lack of closure at the end of the year where pretty well it was just the trainer and the doctor who were dealing with each individual player. There was no media scrums. There were no exit sort of scenarios with that where we could do features because you wanted to get the physicals done as quickly as possible and keep the players as healthy as they possibly could be to get them out of town. So I thought that was done extremely well by the staff, and the league did the best that it could. And now in the past few weeks, a great initiative started by former nailer Paul Bissonette as well, and the ECHL and the PHPA have established the COVID-19 Relief Fund. You can check that out on the ECHL website or our website, wheelingnailers.com, if you'd like to contribute. I know the players would greatly appreciate it. As we continue to move forward here in the summer months, one of the big highlights in the next few weeks and months will be the search for the 19th head coach in team history as last week the Nailers opted not to renew the contract of head coach Mike Bavis who was here for two seasons and this is going to be a fascinating process to watch I can tell you for sure that the applications have already started to roll in at a fantastic rate this is a very sought after job this is a position where you are working with very strong talent here in the ECHL you're two steps away from the National Hockey League you have a chance to have a hand in building your team so recruiting is definitely a big part that goes with it and the relationship that the nailers have over two decades working alongside of the pittsburgh penguins that's something that really attracts folks and you look at the track record of this position as well the success that people have had with it whether it be back in the very beginning with doug sauter who brought the wheeling thunderbirds to town with authority and took them all the way to the finals in year number one. Whether it be Peter Laviolette, who had one season of tremendous success here, jumped right on up to Providence in the AHL, and then on to a tremendous NHL career with the Islanders, with the Hurricanes, and with the Predators. Or whether it be as recent as Clark Donatelli, the all-time wins leader in Wheeling Hockey history, who went on to then get the promotion and make his way to Wilkes-Barre-Scranton in the AHL. There's definitely a lot that will bring these coaches coaches to want to have success here and that's going to lead to quite the process too in trying to figure out who's the best fit and that has a lot of different principles as well and I know that I've had a few questions. Alex tweeted in at me some of the targets that the Nailers may have or the types of coach that they're looking for and I I think without going into full detail and and naming some of the names that I like because I don't want to get you all excited because I said one name or another name or get you devastated because maybe I left a name or two off the list. I think that some of the real basic things that you're looking at number one obviously from an Naylor's perspective is you want to have a winning team on the ice here in Wheeling. This is a team that hasn't made the playoffs since the finals run of 2016, and I know that our ownership is very hungry to get back to the postseason and be able to deliver you a winning team. So there's that aspect of it first and foremost, obviously also here at the ECHL level which is a lot different than say the American Hockey League is there's a big recruiting aspect of it that's involved because of the ECHL contracted players that get signed here so you want someone who has some good relationships with some of the college teams with some of the major junior teams with some of the university teams up in Canada so recruiting is definitely a big aspect of this job here with the Nailers and then there's that development aspect that we always talk about as the Pittsburgh Penguins. It's going to be a dual effort here, and that's one of the great things about the relationship that Wheeling and Pittsburgh have is they will work together to try and put the best situation possible here in Wheeling, but you want someone who's going to be able to take some good NHL, AHL contracted players from the organization, develop them here to be able to have that success at this level so that they can have that instant impact in the American Hockey League. And we always look back. I mentioned him earlier in this very segment is Clark Donatelli. He found that great balance where he was tremendous at developing guys. Look at the track record. Guys like Kunakul, guys like Rowney, who made it all the way to the National Hockey League. He had that recruiting aspect to him as well. Guys like Bobby Farnham that he found out of Brown, Derek Army that he found out of Providence, and he was able to have them both have success here and both play in a lot of games at the higher level. So I think those would be kind of your main bullet points that the Nailers and the Penguins are both looking at as they start to try to narrow down what at this point is going to be a big list and get some interview candidates and that's obviously going to be a process as well. Typically, as you get down to the finalists, the interviews start to take place in person and you get that one-on-one feel for them but sometimes now that may have to happen over it be a phone interview or a stream like a Zoom or something like that. So it'll be very fascinating to see I'm not sure what the timetable is going to look like yet, but I know that Wheeling and Pittsburgh are both fully committed to having this be a very successful venture and having someone take the reins in 2020-2021. That's going to do a fantastic job for us. I got another excellent question in my Twitter mailbag, and that one came from Kerry. And it goes back to one of the topics that I was discussing earlier, how there could be the potential for a larger free agent pool coming up this summer if players decide that they don't want to return to go play in Europe again this season. And that could ultimately lead to more veterans in the pool as well. So Kerry asked, what is the best selling point For veterans to want to come to the smallest market in the ECHL and have them stay there for multiple years? And that's an excellent question, especially in this league because every team has a different approach when it comes to recruiting. You have some of the warmer weather markets down in the south, like Florida and Orlando and Allen in South Carolina, who have great weather. Some of those cities have beaches that are very close by, so there's that aspect to it. You have some of the bigger cities in the league, like Cincinnati and Indianapolis, and that can be a draw for some. Additionally, Wheeling's approach has been one that the Pittsburgh Penguins relationship kind of drives the ship a little bit, where you're going to get that attention that you might not necessarily get if you were with another team. You're going to be one of the first players potentially called on for a chance to move up to the American Hockey League. So that's always been Wheeling's approach, but like Kerry highlights, that that can tend to lean more to the younger guys, and we're looking more towards the veterans and Really, One of the biggest aspects that can help wheeling out first of all is word of mouth from players who have been here in the past who have experienced great things here and can pass that word along to other players who may have wheeling on the radar. But really, to me, it just kind of comes down to the basics. And if you can execute those well, then you can compete with just about anybody out there. Are the players comfortable in their living arrangements? And for here in wheeling, I don't think it gets much better in the ECHL. You've got the brand new apartments. They're right across the street from the arena. If you have a family, the Nailers are able to accommodate that as well. So that's certainly a selling point. Then the way that the team travels as well. They're not just taking a coach bus the day of the game, five, five and a half hours there. They're getting sleeper buses. They're going a night before. They're willing to take the extra step to try and assure that the players are in good situations they can get good sleep, and they are as strong as they possibly can to be able to put a good product out on the ice and have a chance to both succeed as individuals and succeed as a team. So really, it kind of sounds basic. I know you're probably looking for a little bit more, but really it comes down to just executing some of the basic things to make players feel comfortable and feel like you're going that extra mile to help them have success and to help them grow Individually, whether they still have chances to move up in the American Hockey League or if they're looking for a place to settle down where they and their, their family can have a nice place to live, a good place to go to school, and, and I think the Nailers do a really fantastic job with that. As I wrap up this episode of the Toolbox, I want to highlight one of the projects that the Nailers have been working on for the community in the last couple of weeks, and we just announced it earlier this week. It's called Ohio Valley Strong. There are a lot of local businesses who are certainly facing challenges during this time, particularly the restaurants who are now shifting their attention from having people come into their restaurants to sit down and eat to now altering the way that they do business and doing takeout and delivery services more than ever before. We have some amazing local partners Who We are extremely grateful for everything that they do for us and supporting us so that we can put Wheeling Nailers Hockey on the ice and give you a product that you're very proud of. Well, now it's our chance to give back to these folks and support the hard work that they're doing right now. So every day over the next few weeks, we are going to be highlighting one of our local partners in the food business, tell you the specials that they're doing, tell you how to get in contact with With them And how you can support them on a daily basis. So make sure you check that out. We're going to be sending that out via our email once a day and we're going to be sending that out via our social media as well. There is a page on our website that has all of our participating partners listed on it. So make sure you check that out as we are all Ohio Valley strong. So that'll do it for episode number one in season three of The Toolbox. I want to thank everybody for taking a few minutes out of their day to tune in, listen to what's going on in the world of Wheeling Nailers and in the ECHL as we speak. As we continue to move forward, of course, there will be plenty of exciting news. I'll be introducing you to the new head coach. Once that gets decided, we'll have some other great interviews. If you have any players or coaches or anyone in the hockey family that you would like to hear from, feel free to send me a tweet. If you have any more questions that you'd like me to address from the mailbag, I'll be happy to answer those as well. You know my Twitter. It's at Deej, D-E-E-J, underscore, P X. Be sure to stay tuned to our social media networks, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our staff has done a fantastic job of creating some interactive activities to keep you going as we wait for everything to get back to normal and we can start really hitting home as we plan for an exciting 2021 season of Wheeling Nailers Hockey. I'm DJ Abisella, and we'll talk to you next time on The Toolbox.